In a time of rampant inflation, paying more for something, and shrinkflation, paying the same amount for less product, what would happen if you paid more for something and received less in return? Come to think of it, I'm pretty sure there is a name for that. That's right. It's called post-secondary education. Now, just to be clear, I'm not referring to fields that actually provide a return on your investment, such as what you may get with many trade certifications. What I am referring to, however, is what the vast majority of people acquire after high school, and that is your run-of-the-mill liberal arts degree. For about 50 years now, colleges and universities throughout the West have rapidly decreased their utility while simultaneously increasing the cost of their much inferior product. Gone are the days where going to college or university guaranteed you tangible knowledge and skills which were transferable to the workplace. Today, the post-secondary marketplace is inundated with radically left-wing institutions which are no longer critical thinking epicenters that they once were. Instead, these institutions now only exist to parrot and tow the radical left-wing party line. This, I must remind you, all comes at a price that will leave its customers devoid of actual knowledge or marketable skills, and not to mention financially crippled for many years to come. What, you may ask, is responsible for the colossal decline of these once prestigious institutions? Is there anything that can be done to return them to their once highly respected state? Join us on this episode as we break down the fall of the Collegiate West. All done, might I add, at the inflation-proof cost of free dollars. All right, let's, I'll stop now. Welcome back to the 13th Hour. First, I'd like to announce to our based viewers that the 13th Hour is now officially a podcast and not just a YouTube show. It took Mystery Lady nearly a year, but she has finally got us onto Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Apple Podcasts. We can also be watched on Rumble and Odyssey, and our viewers can interact with us on Instagram or Twitter. The links to all of these platforms are in the description section of the episode or can be found on our YouTube banner. Please subscribe to us on as many of these platforms as possible. We are a small podcast fighting the good fight for truth, humor, and personal responsibility. Subscribe to us and don't miss out on future content. See how much better I get as I get get rolling? I mean, 45 tries in. Woo! Not bad. Not bad. I mean, I'm bad. It's like a broken clock is right twice a day. Unless, but I've seen one where the hands completely fell off. <laughs> so I don't know if that, that's going to be right at all, but you know. So continuing our uh, series on, I guess, the massive... Institutional corruption? And like the ideological change in the West, right? Because before it was truth and reason, which reigned supreme. And now we're left with, I guess, money, greed, and corruption. I mean, yeah, everything stems from greed. Mm -hmm. 
greed is like the top of the corruption pyramid and then everything stems outside from greed it all flows from greed because without money to drive somebody to do something nefarious they're probably not going to do it most people will just look for something else unless they're complete like psychopaths and i guess uh power and control i mean i think a lot of what's going on in universities stems from controlling the narrative right they're very scared of new ideas or even old ideas challenging the current um, mainstream narrative. Sounds like they're scared of correct ideas. Well, I mean, yeah, any idea that ha- is based on merit would be okay with being challenged because it has the ability to back itself up. <clears throat> yeah, the truth, the truth doesn't fear a challenge. So why are you so scared of talking to me? <laughs> Fuck, I'm talking to you every fucking podcast. <laughs> <laughs> no, you ghost me all the time. Can only can only take uh, forty five reruns of the intro so many times. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but the end product is uh, collegiate worthy. All right, <laughs> agreed. So I have an article which basically summarized my vision for this podcast. And we're probably going to go through it, and it's going to take us a while, but it kind of really does a wonderful job of breaking down the absolute decay and destruction of secondary, post-secondary institutions. And the fact that now what we're left with is an absolute shell of its former self. And in a lot of ways, it's doing more damage than good. A, a lot of it probably stems from, there must've been a point where universities just became like profit centers rather than like uh, places of higher learning, mm-hmm. which which is what we've always envisioned them to be. There's another thing too at play here. Um, like universities, colleges, post-secondary, they used to be the gatekeepers of knowledge, right? Yep. Because there was, you know, they would uh, consolidate the knowledge and they'd be able to have experts that could train you and stuff. Uh, but in the age of information, there is no knowledge that is gate kept anymore. Mm-hmm. And it's always available. It's available to anybody at any point, at any time. And in fact, there's probably experts out there with videos teaching you how to either understand this knowledge or apply it. So, <clears throat> In a in a strange way, uh, not just because of technology, but I guess because of the the lack of commitment to being uh, to teaching people facts, knowledge, higher learning, the universities have become to make themselves obsolete. I have uh, maybe a controversial opinion. Mm-hmm. So, <coughs> from reading the stuff, the research that I uh, uncovered and whatnot. And thinking things over. I'm starting to think that we have come to a point where we, we understand a lot of the major questions that man had. Mm-hmm. And now these universities are feeling the need to basically reinvent the wheel in order to make it seem like they're still relevant. Like, for example, they seem to have this thing with creating new terms that mean nothing. And they, they kind of have like a cloak, uh, they use a cloak of language that is very um, obtuse. 
mm-hmm. right? It's hard to understand and it's 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 nonsensical in a lot of ways. Like for example, recently the new word, the new term on the block, stochastic terrorism, right? Yeah. And you break it down and it just really means that that s- something that someone said might lead to do someone doing something. Like what well, <coughs> what's what, what, what what is what 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 niche is what void is that filling what uh what's the old saying uh complexity favors lies simplicity favors truth mm-hmm. that's a great point and, and that's that's kind of a lot of the vibe i'm getting here is that they're using complexity to sh- shield some things that they're not wanting you to fully uh uncover and they're also doing it to make themselves seem as though they're a they're at the pinnacle of of knowledge. They have it all figured out because they have all this new way of speaking and, and writing that you don't understand because you're not quite as as you're not exposed to it yet. You're, well, you're not quite as uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Acclimated. Or no, uh, you're, on, you're on the same level as them. You're on the same level, yeah. basically. Yeah, I mean, yeah, there's a superiority complex. Mm-hmm. But the in fact, the idea is, and this you'll see this in things like law, um, <clears throat> is that, I mean, law is logical and makes sense, but there's a lot of terms in law that you would only understand how they apply if you study law, mm-hmm. right? And there, it's, it's almost like they've sort of dissected that and they're trying to apply it to more like... Uh, social avenues and social studies and what is you know whatever they call whatever the libtards are taking nowadays i guess um gender gender studies studies and stuff right but critical (coughs) race theory so they attempt to create a language based around this idea so that there's an expertise not just by the knowledge that they're teaching but by the nomenclature yeah right so that you you are you are a default gatekeeper because of the language yep, that makes not sense. necessarily because of the knowledge but I, I would argue that a lot of times the language that c- they create does not make oh yeah sense. it <laughs> could be totally nonsensical and and this is sort of the thing and in uh what is a woman you see that when when matt is challenging one of those professors and he's like well what is a woman right and and, c- and he kept challenging him and this guy got uncomfortable because he can't define it yeah because at some point, if you're educated and you believe in, you know, knowledge and higher learning, there comes a point where you know intrinsically this is not legitimate. This does not make sense. Mm-hmm. So there is not a way to convey it. So and just like in in the movie, the guy kept hiding behind this kind of cloak of complexity. Like, yeah. while we can't just define it. Yeah, it's it's almost. Yeah, it's like a. Uh, I guess uh, we, we've used this term a lot today, but it's autistic in a sense. <laughs> like <some laughs> autism. At like the, they're, they're like, they're reading beyond things. Like they're going above and beyond, um, I guess, natural reason. Mm-hmm. And so they're coming up with this jargon. They, they're thinking that it's elevated and heightened, but really it, to the average person, it just sounds just dumb. dumb, and it's very it's weird. It's interesting that you mentioned that because it's very Masonic. Because because Masons are the gatekeepers of knowledge, okay. right? And so you, there is a sort of uh, what would you call it? Not a pattern, but there is like you have to be in the know 
and and in order to be in the know they have to convey mm. the know to you mm-hmm. and only two masons will understand the signals that right, they're giving, right, right? right? Almost like a hidden language. Yes, yes, it is. <clears throat> and it's kind of like that now in academia. And this is how you gatekeep things, mm-hmm. right? So that uh, like two Masons could speak to each other literally in a crowded room, but nobody could decipher exactly what they're meaning. I think that's probably why like when a conservative debates someone on the left, like in, in academia, the person on the right has literally no idea what the hell they're talking <laughs> None about. None of it makes any like, fucking sense. The, the, the person on the right is trying to talk about facts, logic, and reason, and the person on the left it's is very like, esoteric. It, yeah, yeah, esoteric and like kind of in like Wonderland. Yeah, the the idea is that if uh, they keep their knowledge esoteric, so that it's a it makes it harder to challenge. Mm-hmm. Not not like uh, not de facto harder to challenge, though, because if you just stick to what you believe is the facts, right. you just make them uncomfortable. But if you engage with them on their level, the esotericness makes it like basically impossible to challenge mm-hmm. because until you're one of them mm-hmm. in the club and you have the same expertise, they can always just default to well you you wouldn't be able to understand it's beyond mm-hmm. you you know it means more it's this and it's always just this cloak of uh esoteric knowledge to sort of obfuscate the fact that none of it actually is yeah, true it, it's very arrogant i would say yeah like it, it, arrogance is part of it right um the enlightened like, like the illuminati they are supposedly the bearers of the true knowledge they're the illuminated ones mm-hmm. and to achieve that knowledge you have to go through esoteric uh, rituals and stuff and learn the language and the signals and the hand signs and blah, blah, blah. And it's almost like academia, or at least the most left-wing aspects of academia, are kind of adopting that. They are. That's a good point. And maybe we'll talk about it some more in some of this uh, research I uncovered. But let's start with this article. It's actually, I guess, an opinion piece, um, but it really does an amazing job of kind of breaking down where universities once were in comparison to where they are now. So the title of the article um, is The American Universities Have Lost Their Prestige, and I found it in the Las Vegas Review Journal. So it starts, Nothing is stranger than the contemporary American university. Not long ago, Americans used to idolize their universities. Indeed, in science, math, engineering, medicine, and business, Many of these meteorot meteorotic meritoc meritocratic. He's very smart. He's smarter than me. Meritocratic meritocratic departments, departments uh, and schools uh, remain among the top ranked in the world. Top notch higher education explains much of the current scientific, technological, and commercial excellence of the United States. This is where he kind of breaks down the transitionary period. So after World War II. Um, was won in part due to superior U.S. scientific research, production, and logistics. A college degree became a prerequisite for a successful career. The GI Bill enabled some 8 million returning vets to go to college. Most graduated to good jobs. The university um, from the late 1940s to the 1960s was a rich resource of continuing education. It introduced the world's great literature from Homer to Tolstoy to the American middle class. But today's universities and colleges 
bear little if any resemblance to post-war higher education. Even during the tumultuous 1960s, when campuses were plagued by radical protests and periodic violence, there was still institutionalized free speech. An empirical college curriculum mostly f survived the chaos of the 60s. I just want to point out but that... But it's gone now. Yeah, that's an interesting thing. Uh, I was going to stop there. That's an interesting point, is that um, where the higher learning centers of yesteryear were the biggest advocates of the First Amendment. They like were, they would yeah. defend it yes, no yes. matter what. Well, that that is kind of, okay, I would say like the the public marketplace of ideas was at colleges and universities mm -hmm. back then. Now it's on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, and for, for <laughs> and some so, reason... But they, there's censorship on Twitter now, and there's also extreme censorship the most, in colleges and universities. The most censored places are going to be colleges and universities. Mm -hmm. And it's what happened. Like, there, like people like Matt Walsh, for example, Michael Knowles... Um, any right wingers all, all those, censored all, all those dudes yeah. they try and go to these different campuses and probably half of them turn them away mm -hmm. and it's like why because what, what are you afraid of? because their ideas cannot stand up to scrutiny anymore and that and that's the difference so when when the ideas that they were teaching were rooted in reality it was fine to have, to promote free speech mm -hmm. because you even if you challenge reality inevitably you have to capitulate to the facts. Right. But now that the ideas that they promote are rooted in anti-reality, you can't have free well, speech. I would say even less than reality or different than reality, you can say objectivity versus subjectivity. Yeah, you could do right? that too. Right. So now everything is subjective, right? So it's, it's harder to defend something that's subjective mm -hmm. because it's only true to you. Because it ultimately comes down to how you feel. Yeah. Right? And that's not an argument. Like, it's not a logical argument anyway. And so when uh, they've complete... And this... Now, th the interesting thing is this This probably started happening in the 60s, right? Mm -hmm. Like they mentioned. Because at some point, the professors, the professors and then the students had to get co-opted into this. Mm -hmm. So they would have had to have gotten past uh, the old guard that was total pro-free speech, First Amendment, and then start supplanting them with these people, probably a transitionary period where they would have professors that were mostly pro-free speech, but they were like, but, you know, we there's some things we don't want to talk about. We don't want to touch that, sensitive topics, blah, 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 until they eventually uh, 180 them into being anti-free speech i wonder if it's that or if like they use something like tenure as a weapon and they started only giving tenure to professors that thought and that's possible and like it could have been way. it totally could have been right? engineered that right? way right yeah. so and then and then it becomes like incentivized to be left wing exactly or whatever yeah and toe the company line yeah and so more people could obviously see oh well if i i want tenure i'm going to toe the company <laughs> line yeah. And uh, I mean, it's it's a relatively new phenomenon. Like it's obviously it must have existed in some form forever, uh, but uh, it's relatively new phenomenon in the fact that uh, even left wing professors like Jordan Peterson, people think he's right wing, but he technically he would be. Center I put him left. center. Yeah, I put him center left. Mm -hmm. Right. 
but even like left-leaning professors like Jordan Peterson who were pro uh, free speech which all lefties were pro free speech at one time have been sort of ostracized out of the education system mm -hmm. I would say yeah Peterson was probably your typical professor probably from the 50s and 60s I'm guessing yeah he's like a 60s left-wing yeah. professor yeah believes in the liberal worldview that was common in the 60s for left-wingers yeah which is now considered all right for some bizarre reason. And uh, and he was probably one of the last vanguards, at least in Canadian academia, that was... Does he have a job anymore in yeah, he works. Canadian academia? No, he doesn't. Yeah, he, he's out. He's yeah. out. He's out. Yeah. He, did, he got a job at Daily Wire. I know that part, yeah. <laughs> and so... That's where all like, <clears throat> the, the lefties cloaked as conservatives are. Yeah. And so we're not too far removed, I guess, from having legitimate professors... Right. Because mm -hmm. so like the entire, I guess, crushing the entire idea of free speech and stuff it must have only happened in the last 20 years mm -hmm. because otherwise Jordan Peterson wouldn't even have had a job or had tenure. So I think it ramped up for sure. Um, and I think probably the 70s and like the hippie movement and the I mean, it kind of like the sexual liberation thing. Yeah, the, like the the hippie uh, movement, sexual liberation, the whole thing. It did. It was it was, it was basically breaking away from the norm. It was and breaking the, away, and yep. the norm was more of like an enlightenment uh, morality. It was very rigid, right? Right. It was very rigid uh, in application and and how they taught it and how they enforced it. So a lot of there was a you know a subset of a counterculture out there that wanted to you know distance themselves from that that was the hippie movement and stuff because they wanted to be more free um and almost like that counterculture just stuck around got into academia or maybe a lot of academia even adopted that those types of beliefs mm -hmm. and i don't know how long it's been sitting for because i don't remember free speech being an issue in the 90s mm -hmm. but Maybe I didn't pay attention to it as much. I don't know. Yeah, I, I think maybe it was probably like the beginnings of the decay of free speech. Mm -hmm. And it was hard to really uh, discern at that time. And now that things are ramped up to like 40. Well, and then they're like, when we talk about this all the time, there's two components going on here. There, Things were better in the 90s, like objectively. Yeah, oh, yeah, they were. But it's also it was a transitionary period yeah there was though. a transitionary period there yeah. yeah but it's also because we're at the point now where we're capable of scrutinizing things that we never could scrutinize yeah. previously right mm -hmm. uh with the communication technology and stuff people being able to report immediately what's going on on campus you know like five minutes after someone gets kicked off a of campus why they got kicked off like stuff like that like we didn't have that before you had to wait to a couple of days maybe a week mm -hmm. you know for the news to touch upon it and maybe the news would report it in a way that was more sympathetic to the campus rather than the people who got kicked off or whatever right mm -hmm. uh, but now we can scrutinize everything so a lot of a lot of the cracks in the system are more obvious to us now mm -hmm. um how long they've been there is hard to say but now they're it's clear all right, I'll continue on with the article here. So he kind of breaks down different uh, points that uh, kind of tie into his thesis. So instead of, I guess I would say, 
pre nineteen sixties uh post secondary mm-hmm. education. Imagine a place where the certification of educational excellence, the bachelor arts degree, is no longer a guarantee that a graduate can speak, write, or communicate coherently or think inductively. That should be impossible. And it makes sense, though, because inductive thinking would mean that you have to kind of break down something, right? You have to be able to deconstruct something and, and understand then uh, and under- Yeah, right. and then understand what the pe- the moving pieces mm-hmm. and what's going on and use logic and reason to come to some sort of conclusion, right? But now universities are more so... It's kind of almost... Universities now are kind of like a left-wing church. Yeah. The professor is the priest, and he preaches yeah. to you what you need to know and what you how you should think and what you should do right but there's no challenging that priest because he is the word of god that's very interesting because um that you you made that analogy because uh academia would be when at some point when the left-wingers broke away right for we'll say the 60s it's probably the 60s um and then at some point in this maybe late 60s early 70s the atheist movement started picking up and the left the left sort of adopted atheism as their sort of you know their religion mm-hmm. and but atheism at least the atheism that was uh that was disseminated uh was run by academics mm. right that did they spearheaded the movement that's right so the academics were the ones who were the atheists so the left latched onto atheism and probably uh by proxy they also latched onto academia mm-hmm. so academia by proxy of the atheism became the new de facto religion mm-hmm. for them uh in which you know this is where we get stuff like trust the science blah 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 and so they uh they filled the void of no religion with a new religion mm-hmm. but they don't see it as a religion even if it is as far as like if you studied how they react to it how they uh how they communicate it and stuff like that it probably would check a lot of the same boxes that religions do mm-hmm. and so they uh this is sort of like at some point this became their religion and after it became their religion they started to defend it like a religion yes right? like you, it's, it's blasphemy mm-hmm. to speak against like I guess uh, left-wing orthodoxy, so radical gender theory, radical mm-hmm. race theory, all that kind of stuff, right? It's it's blasphemy, and you're committing a sin by challenging it, and that's kind of how they treat debate. And I just want to point out blasphemy. Well, I, I mean, I don't know, I I don't study every religion, but in the Christian religion, like blasphemy exists. However, Jesus was challenged on his beliefs all the time. Mm-hmm. And he just proved his beliefs to the people that were challenging him. And it's not that you... That communist. Yeah. <laughs> it's not that you can't challenge religion or that you're not supposed to challenge it. Right. In fact, everything should be challenged. Like, this is... That was kind of the point of... Of rational thought. And yeah. universities. Was All they were challenging, right, um, the knowledge that at their disposal, mm-hmm. right? And they were making logical, inductive um, claims. Anything that is true, that is like actually true, can be challenged mm-hmm. because it, the truth does not fear a challenge. 
but it's bigoted, racist, homophobic, transphobic, <laughs> and all that, all that fun stuff. All Kay. the phobias. Next, next paragraph. We got a lot of paragraphs here, Shane. <laughs> Imagine a place that requires applicants to submit high school grade point averages and standardized test results, but does not require its own graduates to pass a basic uniform competency test. That is a really interesting point that I haven't heard. Wait before. a second, is that was that for real? Well, you get tested through your coursework, but there's no overarching test once you want to graduate and leave university that they give to you. But in a lot of places, I mean, that's kind of changing. The SAT is kind of racist now, so there a lot of places are getting rid of the SAT. But typically, you would have to take an SAT in order to be accepted. Mm -hmm. Your score had um, an effect on whether or not they would accept you. But if you want to graduate, it's just based off of your individual coursework and your grades. Weird. That's a good point, isn't it? Yeah. Like, so then, it, well, the and the other p issue then becomes is what if, and obviously when this was developed, uh, universities were different. So, but what happens if you go into university and all the courses you take are relatively esoteric, mm -hmm. uh, say postmodern courses, mm -hmm. You would never have to, as long as you pass those individual courses, your competency or any of that would be completely irrelevant. Mm -hmm. And you wouldn't even, there's a good chance you would never pass any sort of standardized test right. because everything you've just learned is anti-standard. Well, and it was also preached to you. Yeah. Like, so it, it's an interesting thing that they, I don't know if they ever had a sort of like, you know, overarching competency test for you to graduate at one time yeah but if they did i would understand why they would eliminate it because if they're changing the caseload to something like i said more esoteric they wouldn't care about your competency in sort of the classic areas well of being able to speak right yeah or communicate coherently they don't care about thinking yeah, but you can't right? and, and so that's th perfect well, think about it Com communicate coherently there is with left-wing <laughs> ideologies that is impossible it is to communicate coherently because it is coherent because by it, its very it, nature it's, yeah its nature is incoherence it's the point <laughs> it's more it's less of it's more of a weapon they use it as a weapon right mm -hmm. um than anything else well the, and that's why i said that's the cloak of esotericness that's like the shield for the ideology mm -hmm. shield it with esoteric knowledge mm -hmm. that is impossible to uh, inductively break down because it, it it makes no sense. The the one thing I will say is there there's kind of like um, a comprehensive exam in some situations. Like for example, I did uh, uh, a th uh, I guess it was an honors thesis, mm -hmm. so I had to defend it. Mm -hmm. uh, and people who are doing their masters, they have to defend their thesis. Um, not all master's programs do that there's, some, there's a lot of times there's streams that bypass the thesis but that would be like the one thing i guess i could point to that is done some places where you have to defend your knowledge and abilities but that would probably only be applicable to certain uh courses it, it, well right? it, yeah it, when you're doing your master's typically there's like a big thesis that you do that's like a hundred pages or more or whatever and you have to be able to defend it in front of a panel and whatnot. And, and I don't know if they would really like 
fail someone over their thesis if they put yeah, it in an, honest, in an honest work. Yeah. Um, but like that's the one closest thing I could publish. Well, and here's the thing is, is does any uh, university even have something like that in regards to like gender studies or whatever? Oh, I'm sure there's a gender studies thesis. Although like, it would be pretty easy to defend it because... They all agree with you anyways. <laughs> yeah, all right. <laughs> okay. They're like... <laughs> They get, they'll have to pl- bring up the cards. 9.8. 10. 10, 10. <laughs> 11. Okay, <laughs> next paragraph. Imagine a place where after an initial trial period, a minority of elite employees receive lifetime job guarantees. Where Where is this place? How do I get in? It's called tenure. Don't you have that oh, at uh, where you work? Planet Fitness? Yeah. <laughs> they don't have tenure yet. Damn it. <laughs> Tenure is a peculiar thing, I would say. Uh, like, they give it to, like, what, a quarter of their employees? I mean, it's... And, it's and like, it, it's kind of like when you're a, an athlete, right? And you work really hard to get to the pros, and you get your entry-level deal, and you work really hard to get paid, and then you get paid your big contract, and then you fucking go to the Bahamas and you order an ounce of blow and that's your off-season regime. I mean, it's a pretty good off-season, <laughs> let's be honest. But, uh, I actually kind of agree with tenure. Do you? I'm not against it. Like I, I, uh, the, I agree with the principle that somebody who's committed enough time, uh, put in enough hours, should be rewarded is, but is that how they is that how they uh, give tenure? I th- yeah I, I like you can't just get tenure for being there 10 minutes mm-hmm. like you have to you have to put in a, a certain I, amount I'm of sure time. if you're like you're someone that's known in academia they'll a university will toss you tenure yeah. to get you like like they they do have like um you know they have plateaus you have to reach like you got to be there five years ten years whatever but however it doesn't mean that everybody who's been there that time gets it right mm-hmm. so you still have to be there is still some sort of politics in the back room. Well, who gets tenure? Yeah. How is that determined? Yeah. Uh, like, I'm not completely it, against it if it's thing. based on meritocracy. Here, here's the thing, though. Um, sometimes, most of the time, I guess, uh, past performance uh, dictates future performance, mm-hmm. but not always. No. A lot of times, people will coast once they get comfortable. And so I think tenure is kind of like a self-defeating proposition in a lot of ways because a lot of people probably get pretty comfortable pretty quick and they get really lax with their job and not take it as seriously. Yeah, I mean, it's it, one of the points of tenure, though, is to protect the professor from the administration, mm-hmm. right? So that the professor could teach what they think needs to be taught. Like right. a lot of professors develop, you know, their curriculum. You uh, think that happens today? Or well, you think I mean, it's the professors who are Jordan teaching Peterson, which the what this administration I think, wants you to I teach. think he was only protected because he had tenure. Yeah, but when did he get tenure? What was the what was the culture like then, Shane? Well, it was probably different. But I mean yeah. they would have got let's just put it this way, he would have been out a lot sooner without tenure. Right. 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 So it did protect him in a way, and, and so there are cases where yeah. this is yeah, useful. Yeah, yeah. Uh but like I said, tenure only functions legitimately based on merit mm-hmm. right once it becomes political like anything once you becomes political and it's you know i scratch your back you scratch mine backroom deals well then it becomes as worthless as anything else that's achieved without merit so can you, can you scratch my ball sack no i definitely can't do that <laughs> 
Imagine a place supposedly devoted to equity where only 30% of the faculty are privileged enough to be tenure track. The other 70% are second class, categorized as part-time or contingent faculty, and they receive a fraction of the compensation per hour of instruction as their more elite counterparts. I, I would be interested in the breakdown of how this happens and like... Yeah, how tenure comes to be. How do you attain tenure? And why are some people just never like on the books to get it? I mean, I'm going to throw out a, a, a Hail Mary here and say that quite possibly it's based on your politics. <laughs> There's a good chance. Like I, said, I mean, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm the least educated rube around, so I have no idea <laughs> like what's going on at the universities. <laughs> I go, I went to, want to be. <laughs> I went to university to play pool. I didn't do anything else. So, um, I, I don't know like the politics and the bathroom right, right, deals. Right. Like I have no idea what any of that is. It's probably like any other workplace, but worse. I would say it's worse at a university. It probably is. And you probably have to kiss a lot more ass too to get what you want, right? Yeah, or suck a lot of trans dick. That's <laughs> <laughs> how you get monkeypox. <laughs> Imagine a place that cherishes student interaction and criticism of the establishment, yet the ratio of instructors to administrators is now about one to one. The money devoted to non-teaching administrative costs is now about equal to the money devoted to classroom instruction. And Power to the man. <laughs> and we go back to one of the linchpins of the destruction of Western civilization is administration. Yeah. Well, the red tape. Right, Everywhere. because administration, and w like we were talking about off camera, administration itself doesn't provide what would you say utility? A net positive necessarily. It's not. It's not. It's, there's no. Yeah. There's no utility in it. Like, right. It. It just. It, it only obstructs. It. Ex it only exists to facilitate obstruction. One thing <laughs> to the other, or obstructs something. It's, it obstructs. And so, when you get uh, when you get an administrative class that is as big or bigger than the class that it's trying to facilitate things to, mm -hmm. then it becomes an obstruction. It's not, doesn't speed anything up and it gives administrators power that they were never intended to have. This makes me think about the cost of university and why it has maybe been inflated so much. And it probably is in large part. It has part a lot to do with, with the, the administrative class. Yes. yes. And, and think about it. And, and this is easy to, if you're administrator, or if you know anything about administration, this is easy to replicate. Say, uh, whatever, I'm office manager, and people drop off their applications. Say I'm a racist office manager, and uh, I see somebody has a name I don't like on the top of the applications, and, I, and I'm an administrator. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. So I either take that application and dump it in the garbage, or I just keep shuffling it to the bottom, to the bottom, to the bottom every day, as they get closer to interviewing that person, shuffle it back to the bottom, right? And so administrators get a sort of, because they interact, they're the liaison between uh, the, the administration or the people in charge mm -hmm. and then the people that they're supposedly working for. They're kind of that liaison. They can control the flow of information. Yeah. So if you're a bad actor, you're going to do stuff 
that sucks. They're kind of the gatekeepers for the yeah, university. Yeah, there are a lot, of, and I'm not saying this happens at university, but we do see this happening in politics. Mm-hmm. The administrative state well, here's the thing. is everything that's wrong. Yeah, people have their biases, and right, and when you have that much power and control, you obviously your biases are going to come and, through. And this is a perfect example. The administrators are the watchers. Who's watching the watchers? Nobody. Mm-hmm. Right, a- an administrator isn't being reviewed every week. People normally aren't following up on their caseload mm-hmm. unless, you know, they're way behind or something is like falling apart. And so they have a, a lot. Of, they have they have the most independence to power ratio. Yeah. Right. Uh, and just just like the administrative state in the United States. So obviously Congress and the president has de facto and de jure power. They're the ones that get to wield it. Mm-hmm. But when they appoint people into these administrative positions, they're basically unless you you know, unless you decide we're doing a review of the FBI or whatever, these people are basically... Left to own devices. Yeah, they're unmanaged. They, they're they unsupervised. They get to do whatever they want. So if they're doing something shady, how would you ever know? There's no checks and balances. No. And and this is why the administrative state is, and administrative class can be a problem. I'm not saying they're always a problem. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm, I work in an administrative role, right? Like my job is administration. we'll uh we'll keep that to us but uh um so you're it's not automatically like bad however there is it's got the most how would you say uh it's the biggest door for corruption to walk through Mm -hmm. good points for once imagine a place where diversity is the professed institutional ethos where studies reveal that liberal faculty outnumber the conservative counterparts by over 10 to 1. Now, to be fair, that's probably more of a result that conservatives lean away from going to university and college. (sighs) Whereas liberals will automatically try and pursue it. Or selective hiring, like I said earlier, I mean, this wasn't done overnight, and I think over time, the conservative voices have been weeded out. Yeah, there there will be some uh, there will be some discrimination involved, as real anything. discrimination. Yeah, <laughs> not the real. fake shit. But uh, to be fair, especially in the last forty years, conservatives have turned more into uh, you know, their conservatives will be farmers, they'll be tradespeople. Like they won't pursue that avenue. Mm-hmm. They'll be small business owners, yeah. um, and so it's called a liberal arts education for yeah. a reason. And so, as a result, even if they had, like, we're just not populating universities with enough conservative voices for the administration to hire as professors, mm-hmm. right, or faculty members. And there's like, it's just like there's just nobody to choose from. There's just no conservatives, and this is. I mean, well, there is conservatives, but they're few and far between, and there's not there's no incentive for someone who's conservative to want to pursue yeah. academia. Well, there's also because the like you're you're gonna be speaking in like fucking Greek. You're speaking right? a totally different language, <laughs> right? right? And and you there and you're also gonna be up against probably ten, twenty, thirty times the amount of liberals for a, a faculty position, right? Right, which makes your chances of getting it basically none because i mean you could get like a like a blm tattoo on your arm or something forearm or something that might help like i don't know i don't know if you have this written up but uh in minnesota they've decided that if 
they're they have too many teachers they're going to get rid of white teachers first it doesn't matter what their tenure seniority is are they gonna like put them in the gallows or they're just gonna fire them <laughs> and it's like wait a second isn't that racism that's at best it's reverse racism shane <laughs> at best Imagine a liberal place where, in 2021, race can still be used as a criterion in selecting and rejecting applicants, choosing prospective dorm roommates, organizing segregated dorms, and restricting access to special places on campus. Holy shit, it's like you were like in tune with what I was about to say. This is... We're uh, vibing, we're vibing, uh, man. This is where uh, federal or state government drops the ball. Any, but so like if you're rejecting people based on race, which is illegal in the United States, it is uh, in every it's way. Probably, shape is it illegal in Canada? I would think so. It should be illegal. Probably isn't though. Um, well, if it's demonstrably justified in a free and democratic society, then it's cool. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is where like, you know, uh, AG, the AG of the feds would start prosecuting or investigating these universities who are, you know, not taking white people or Asian people or black people or whatever their criteria is, is to eliminate those people mm -hmm. based on their race. Mm -hmm. Or the state uh, AG would do that as well. But they're just not looking into it. Yeah, this. isn't there like some civil rights shit that came out of that movement that would prevent this kind of discrimination? You would think, but for some reason, nobody seems to care. And that probably has a lot to do with the people who are being affected the most also don't care like like if you eliminate a conservative based on their race they're probably less likely to try and pursue a lawsuit and just look for another way to make a living maybe, i mean right i probably pursue a lawsuit but um it's almost like universities are their own and to like their own um their own government like, yeah they're like their, they own. their own government they have their own rules own regulations they abide by their own constitution yeah they're their and own the, biodome and yeah and they way. they don't adhere to anything else like state or federally or yeah anything. they have their own ecosystem like they uh and this is it's been like this for a long time um obviously they are supposed to abide by state and federal laws mm -hmm. but if they don't eh, it becomes difficult eh. Eh. <laughs> and i mean maybe not difficult in states like florida uh where you have you know, based, big, big uh, ball DeSantis. That's right. Who will go look into it. But and I'd probably say in pretty much every liberal state, uh, we're in, this is the crazy part. All the biggest universities, the most prestigious ones are in liberal areas. Mm -hmm. So you're unlikely to get any sort of legitimate investigation into any of this. Mm -hmm. Cause why would they? Th well, yeah, this is, they'd this be eating is what their they own. want. That's they'd right. Be eating their own. They want this. So yeah. they're like, eh, it's fine. Eh, eh. Imagine a progressive place that once renounced unconstitutional loyal loyalty oaths, but now rebrands them as diversity pledges and requires re-education and indoctrination training. That's a fucking good one. That sounds absolutely terrifying. Yeah. But unfortunately, it's reality. So, like, religion? Yeah. <laughs> <coughs> So if we're going to agree on the fact that universities are promoting a type of religious belief, I wonder, Shane, what do you think are the Ten Commandments? Oh, no. 
Uh, what would be the Ten Commandments? Well, you can't that, speak out against. Yeah, thou shalt thou shall not challenge. Thou shalt not challenge. Uh, thou shalt not let anybody in on the secret. Right. Um. Thou shalt. Uh, thou shalt support all other leftist ideologies. Thou shalt be inclusive of all uh, yeah. other leftist ideologies. Yeah, the inclusive thing. Um, thou shalt denounce conservatism, or reality, or whatever, whatever they whatever they're going to frame it as. Thou shalt don't down not thou shalt disnounce, disnounce, denounce, disnounce. Did you go to university to learn that word? That's a new word. That's a university move. Thou shalt shall shall denounce, denounce. Um, uh, objective reason and thought. Yeah, yeah, that would be one of them as well. Um, obey your professor, the priest. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like instead of obey your parents, obey your professor. What What is uh confession? Is that like when you go to your professor um in their office after class and you look for guidance on your uh trans-liberal feminist paper? Yep. Maybe. Or maybe confession is when they convince you to get the top surgery. I don't know. Uh, yeah, you get zippered. Yeah. Ooh. <laughs> yeah that's a disturbing word. <laughs> yeah, but essentially what they we have They probably only need five commandments, to be honest. And what we have here is, uh, like we said, it's they, they've kind of created their own um, government, so to speak, with mm-hmm. their own rules, laws, regulations, mm-hmm. and and at the top of the list is diversity, inclusion, equity, what? but uh, but not of thought. No, but not of thought. No, that's the interesting thing. Uh, the ideology speaks about inclusion, it's physical and diversity, it's physical. and stuff, but the they want conformity of thought. Yeah. And that's um and that goes with the their their obfuscating their real intentions with esoteric you know positions mm-hmm. yep which is consistent at least i mean they're consistently insane i'll give them that <laughs> moving on imagine a place with non-taxable endowments that restricts free speech and expression Nonprofit universities make it impossible for some speakers to lecture and often suspend constitutionally protective, protected due process for students facing particular allegations. I think that's speaking to rape allegations. Mm-hmm. So in a lot of these universities in the States especially, if you're accused of sexual misconduct, um, you're, you're just taken as guilty without but any due process or any investigation into the allegations unless your social credit is trans trans and then in which case they'll cover it up i think it, it used to be probably like a visible ethnic minority but i'm not even sure that's the bar anymore i think you it's have to be tra- you have to be probably trans you got to be the most protected class yeah in academia uh i'm actually i've noticed a pattern here i won't touch on it yet uh, i can wait but i can i see what's happening Oh, juicy. Mm-hmm. But yeah, um, it's interesting. They're uh, 
like the curate creating their own system of governance and it's rooted in what i would say is kind of like a kangaroo court feel mm-hmm. right it mm-hmm. seems kind of like that like it's just kind of like uh anything goes like it's the the make inclin- a rule as you go the inclinations of the person dictating um what is the rule and, and what is gospel it's, it's a form of neo-feudalism again yeah it's like it's like a regression right mm-hmm. it's a regression in uh human order Pro- progress always means regression always we went so far forward we're going back <laughs> in the circle back to the beginning <laughs> Imagine a place loudly devoted to income, capital, and marketplace equity measured against the reality that 800 of the largest colleges and universities hold more than $600 billion in endowments. Yet, just 20 elite universities account for half of that total. And just four, Harvard, Yale, Stanford, and Princeton, account for almost a quarter of all endowment funds. Well, that does not seem very equitable, does it? No, that's not equity, but uh, who I never went to university, so I can't say. Well, I mean, it just seems like uh, they're preaching something and they're not practicing what they're preaching. But how do you know? They never taught you about equity. <laughs> what do you mean? Well, they define what equity is. I'm sure they would define this as very equitable. They're going to say they're going to say we have the most uh, I don't know. We have the most diverse and inclusive campus. Like when, when I went to university, um, the the common narrative was rooted in Marxist belief, which is obviously a communist vision of society. And so you would think that they would be pushing that, at least in the avenues they control. Well, they don't control the broader society, but they do control the post-secondary institutions. Well, here's the rub. So b- what I was going to say is uh, these. it seems like these universities have become pockets of communism in the middle of America. But they're not even doing it right. <laughs> but however, they are doing it the way it's always been done. Shittily? Exactly. <laughs> communism was never about wealth, wealth redistribution to everybody evenly. Yeah. Stalin got all the money. Well, it's, yeah, it's wealth distribution among those. They want wealth distribution. That's right. Mao got all the money. Yeah. Right? That's a good point. I don't, Castro wasn't eating scraps. Mm-hmm. He was eating like a fucking king. Trudeau's doing all right. That's right. <laughs> and so this is the way communism always breaks down. The theory is that they will uplift everybody equally, but the practice is the elite get to benefit the most well who's deciding who's uplifted and who isn't obviously there's someone at the top in control and that person at the top or those entities at the top are going to do are going to distribute things in in such a way that leaves them at a net positive above and beyond the average institution or individual and and people will make the the comparison that this is not really any different than any other corrupt system capitalism you know a lot of people get uplifted even though they don't deserve it it happens right this is corruption exists everywhere Mm -hmm. the difference between communism though and say capitalism is under a capitalist model you could choose to be communist if you want Mm -hmm. for one thing but uh people can lift themselves up right 
they don't have to have someone lifting them. You're up. not dependent on anyone else or That's anything right. else. You're you have that personal autonomy based on what the work that you put in, right? Mm-hmm. And then receiving a return for that effort that and that that elevates you. And you don't always out of poverty. Not everybody gets to lift themselves up even under capitalism, but you have the, the opportunity. The opportunity is exists. Exists. Yeah, not everyone gets the same return on their yeah. investment, right? But the opportunity exists At in the least marketplace. it's possible. And sometimes you need to be lucky, but yeah, it's there. And try and be a capitalist under communism, you can't. And this is this is the innate or the the biggest distinction. You can be a communist in a capitalist society, but you can't be a capitalist in a communist society. That's a good point. Uh, and you can lift it like the, you can lift yourself to being elite. You can find a way. Mm-hmm. You know, people like say Elon Musk or whatever. Mm-hmm. Even Bill Gates, although Bill Gates did have money, both these guys had money, and that's the other thing. You you do have to find a way to get enough money to start reinvesting that money. To make more money. That's right. just the way it works. Yeah. So you either own a small business or you find a way to do it. Or you inherit. Or you inherit. But it's possible. And that's the biggest difference. Is And we do have a lot of elite today in capitalist societies that are people that are basically self-made. Yes, we have a lot of people that wouldn't be where they are today without the ability to go out and take mm. a risk and invest in themselves and and make a name for themselves and make a living even under com communist capitalism like like china uh and they do have rich billionaires uh what the heck was it? jack ma right he i don't know what he owns alibaba or something um aliexpress maybe anyway he's a chinese billionaire he was allowed to make a lot of money mm-hmm. now however he still has to be allowed to make money by the ccp and he still has to capitulate to them because when he started talking out He's, about them, yeah. he disappeared for like a year until he finally resurfaced. Yeah. You know why he disappeared for a year? Because they probably took him in and gave him the talk. Well, he got re-educated, Shane. Re-educated. Can't bite the hand that feeds. Yeah, you're you're at the mercy of those at the top. That's right. And I mean, Canada, I hate to say it, but <laughs> there seems to be a bit of a... Uh, a bend or a lean to that direction these days. A little too much communism in Canada. Let's just put it that way. Yeah, that's why I like to talk about America because like there's a glimmer of hope still that I can latch on to, mm-hmm. and that we I can I uh, can get my convoy together and we can all migrate to the U.S. one day. You know, Am- America's probably like without reading every constitution or charter rights or whatever there is it, for every country in the world. The American Constitution literally says in it that if your government it no longer represents the people, you can abolish them and replace them with a constitutional government. Mm-hmm. It's got to be the only country that does that. Like, there's yeah, like I, you can I, get pretty, rid of your government. I'm pretty sure in Canada's uh, Charter of Rights and Freedoms, it says sorry for these rules yeah. we're about to state. Yeah. The, in Canada, the government can just suspend your rights. Whereas in America, it's actually been ruled unconstitutional multiple times to suspend people's rights yeah for any reason so and yeah it, it creates a different atmosphere let's just say that mm-hmm. moving on we're at the final two points here let's wrap this thing up actually no a lot oh shit there's there's like three <laughs> or four all right <laughs> where was i uh right here so imagine a liberal place that has upped its tuition and total costs far beyond the rate of inflation 
with its graduates now collectively owing $1.7 trillion in student loan debt. There is little hope that many of these student debtors will ever pay back their obligations, which average more than 30000 each. Holy crap. It is a fucking like financial death sentence. It's a sinkhole, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and like the the return on your investment is like uh, these days I would say it's nearly obsolete. Yeah. Unless you're like really going in something specialized like a doctor, a lawyer, you're selling drugs on campus, like it's going to be rough once yeah. you leave. Yeah. And uh they obviously went from institutions of higher learning to profit centers at some point where profit is the number the, one objective it's the goal yeah. yeah and not just operational costs anymore making a you know a tidy profit or whatever they're trying to make the most fucking profit mm-hmm. possible um i mean i i sense that with a lot of places or institutions in society they've lost like the plot like their their purpose what they provided is no longer even in the equation it's just making money it's also like a form of uh i mean it's like a, a form of academic shrinkflation yeah you're paying more for not even the same product you're paying more for an inferior product well, that's why i said in my fucking intro do you not listen uh, yeah yeah i'm bringing <laughs> it up <laughs> yeah but it's like it's the i don't know what you it's not shrinkflation and it's not What's well, both? It's inflation and shrinkflation combined. <laughs> In one. What do you call that, though? Inflated shrinkflation. <laughs> <laughs> Is that we we should send that to the university so they can put it in their new dictionaries? Boom! Inflated shrinkflation. It's pretty bizarre, and they're not even teaching anything that matters anymore either. Yeah, I mean, even like stuff like science, for example, it's inundated with like this radical gender theory shit, like. Like there, it's not even science. What? It's not science. No, anymore. I know. It's, it's crazy. It's like liberal arts science. Yeah, or uh, I, it's ideologically driven. Yeah, and so it's it's just totally bizarre how they got. I mean, this is a lot of the world is at this point where ideological subversion has infiltrated practically every aspect of society on some level. Mm-hmm. And they protect it by calling you bigoted or whatever if you challenge it. Because that's, you know, that they must have a class on that, I'm sure, in university. Mm-hmm. How to defend your ideological subversion. Just call them Nazis, bigots. Or, they're just going through the list. The only one they won't use is commies because they don't want to draw attention to themselves that they're commies. Yeah. I mean, uh, the one thing they're most scared of is shedding light on the truth. Imagine a place that has institutionalized human rights but welcomes nearly 400,000 students from human rights violating China, a great many of whom are the offspring of elite Communist Party members who provide a lucrative source of university income. Well, there's your problem right there. Yeah. The communist subversion. They're importing They're winning. They're winning. They're importing communist subversion. I mean... Who yeah. let this happen? If you ha- if the universities had integrity, they would be like, nah, we're good. We're going to do our own thing, and we're going to promote what we think is the best form of education for Americans. And the, the ultimate irony here is you have libtards going to these universities who, are, who believe 
that they're, you know, human rights upholders and champions and stuff. Simultaneously learning beside the people whose parents or maybe even they themselves mm -hmm. advocate to destroy other people's human rights. Mm -hmm. Just not in America. Mm -hmm. They're doing it in China. Mm -hmm. I mean, um, self-awareness is not really the left strength. And I would say that same thing, that same uh, idiom goes for universities. They have autism? Weaponized. Hey, last one. Imagine a place where faculty and students now selectively change the names of campus streets, centers, and buildings that honored supposedly lib liberal, uh, long-dead donors, graduates, and former heroes. Yet, curiously, universities never alter their marquee founding brand names. Interesting. Were, were founders or original funders such as Leland Stanford, Elihu, Elihu, Elihu Yale, or Lord Jeffrey Amherst, not as is that Ill illiberal? It's illiberal, yeah. Illiberal as Father Junipero Sira, Earl Warren, and Woodrow Wilson, Wilson, whose names have been cancelled on some college campuses. Here's the thing, and uh, I'm I'm not gonna say which one exactly it was, but someone did bring it up. That one of the universities is named after somebody that also owned slaves. Mm. And the uh, probably Jack Posobiec or somebody was asking, like, when are you going to cancel the name of the university? Because this person owns slaves. If you guys are right, going out there canceling all the slave owners, start with that one. Start with what you can control, and that's your identity. But they, they haven't touched it. Cause, uh, Why? It's a brand. It's it's something that they've invested in, and they're like, "Nah, you can't touch this." Well, it's not. It, it's even worse than that because the canceling of whatever the people. But that they have no skin in the game. Is what I'm saying. Yeah, like, it, if the university's name, like that's something that they they need to. Um, well, it's keep also propagating. It's right? also just a giant grift. They don't yeah, actually care. Yeah, yeah, they do. Right. Like if they okay, it's like you can obviously see, regardless of their brand, if say if the you know if Princeton was the slave owner, if they cared, they would change the name of the university, mm -hmm. right? If you actually care, you're like, oh shit, he's a slave owner, ah, we gotta change the name. But they don't care, so well because it's not in their best interest no. though to care. Yeah, they, and they care about what is uh, but, but they're detached from. They're mm -hmm. detached from these different statues monuments or well they like don't even care about them but this is just how they project to yeah the incoming but what i'm saying is that this, they this sort of this care. affects them on such a deep level that they're going to ignore it it's just they're just being self-interested like they're all well, about it's a virtue self signal right there's well, self-interest we're going to change the name of woodrow wilson hall uh to show everybody and that they're frauds we're like you said it's a grift they're frauds yeah and but really you know they have a lot of stuff going on that if they actually change might make a real difference, eh, but they don't care. Mm -hmm. Like importing communists every year to ideologically subvert the other students. But here you are and they won't fix it. And in fact, they probably want that. So, Well, yeah, it, it kind of fits in with uh, what they're trying to push mm -hmm. and it helps drive the machine forward. Um, and it's a snowball effect, right? So, this has been going on for decades now, and they're at a point where pff, 
80 90 percent of the people in these institutions are on board with what they're doing maybe 75 percent are on board with what's going on the vast majority is on board that's for sure yeah it's hard to put a number on it without actually figuring it out but it seems to me like they are the driving force um for the left stream narrative ideology and the postmodernist mm-hmm. thinking and way of life it's so weird too because postmodernism is so anti-academia it's crazy like yeah like you said before like challenging things sure let's do that mm-hmm. but to deny come to, to come to the conclusion that you're unable to know anything for certain that seems a little far-fetched. It seems very uh, <laughs> mental illness to me. How, how are, yeah, how do you function and navigate the world without knowing some things about it? Well, that's the simul- That's that's the paradox. But then they claim to know everything. They, they have all the answers. They know everything. They mm-hmm. have all the answers. But that is that is postmodernism. We know everything and we know nothing. And nothing is true. Right. So that's it's the gotcha. It's, it's Schrodinger's cat. At all times, it, it occupies both spaces simultaneously forever, and you just pick the one that's, that's most, most convenient. convenient. Yeah, and the left is so good at that. Yeah. Like we had in the meme episode, there we had that flow chart with all the different mm. uh, races. Well, the, all the different, I guess, uh, points of view. Like, um, uh, what was it? If white people move in, yeah, yeah, it's gentrification. Right. If they move out, it's, it's white, white flight. flight. It's right. all racism, yeah. and then it all leads to yeah. racism. They have all angles covered. Yeah. They know what they're doing. They're masterminds at the grift, like you mm-hmm. said. And it's 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 like a machine that is like fine-tuned at this point. And I don't know if there's any stopping it. I think we should close with kind of talking about, do you think there's any way of stopping this? I guess the first thing would be those who are aware of it, they don't participate, right? You don't give your money to these institutions who are corrupt to their core. Can it be stopped? Uh, mm, I mean, it can, but not, not in a mecha. Stop sending your kids to university is the way to do That's it. Pull thing. them out of school. Like, like when they're done high school, don't just send them to university because you think it's what that what should be done. Maybe fifty, sixty, seventy years ago, whatever, that was the right move. But now we're at a place where you really need to be specialized in something that's going to return your investment, and. I hate to say it, but gender studies or critical race studies probably ain't going to be the meal ticket you're looking for. Well, there's an interesting, actually, uh, an interesting thing that occurred here. So the GI Bill sent a bunch of the GIs that came back from World War II, gave them the opportunity, whatever it said, $8 million, mm-hmm. to go to post-secondary education. But what it also did is it normalized the idea that you should take post-secondary education Mm -hmm. right through the gis and so now you have an entire generation of people who all went to university after the war and to them culturally now Mm -hmm. they've absorbed that and they believe oh my child should go to university well and and this is something kind of not super relevant but i think people who go through the military process and have that experience have a leg up. So I would argue that they would do more with a college or university education because they are built differently than the general population. Oh, definitely, yeah. They are disciplined beyond like mm-hmm. comprehension, right? So, yeah, it, it's, it would be kind of uh, 
uh, a misleading thing for the public to see these people come back from war very disciplined and go through university and be and college mega successful and be super successful yeah. but they have a, had a different skill set going in mm-hmm. and also college university was a different it was more legit yes it was and, a different thing and because of their skill set they could harness uh, what the universities offered much better mm-hmm. than most regular people could. And like I said, they would have taken away from that, that, yeah, this is a good idea. I should send my kids. Mm-hmm. And so uh, prior to World War II, it would be interesting to see statistically how many people attended university mm-hmm. out of the population versus post-World War II mm-hmm. and see how the GI Bill might have promoted mm-hmm. Uh, university attendance mm-hmm. say more because i'm sure back in the <laughs> well, eight, late here's 1800s here's or early 1900s most people were going to be like farmers or tradesmen or whatever right and it pushing them more into the university not that there's anything wrong with the universities at that time mm-hmm. but as time goes on it's going to be like a you're going to get diminishing returns, especially as universities switch their focus from whatever they were focused on in the 50s, 60s to what they've started to become focused on 70s and up. Um, the other thing is, what was the population of the U.S. when the GI Bill was enacted? Do you know? Any chance? Maybe. Well, 100, what year, what year 100, was that? I'm going to say 120 million, maybe. Well, but what year was that? Uh, 1948, 1946, somewhere okay. in there. Oh, that's not the right year. 48 U.S. Because what I'm thinking, <coughs> yeah, that's a good guess. It's uh, about 145,000-ish. 8 million of that. Like, that's a pretty that's a, large That's a lot percentage. of people, yeah. So that's going to inflate the university uh, Totals, marketplace. 100%. Right? So that kind of it was like probably the driving force to the – the diminishing returns and the inflationary, um, uh, uh, the inflationary, what's the word I'm looking for? Inflationary drive? No, no. Uh, Marketplace? No, no, no. Uh, demand. Yeah, demand and like Increase, people, go, yeah. Yeah, people going to universities and colleges. It cre- yeah, it, it would have created created a larger demand to attend university, which in turn created a bigger marketplace for the universities. Right. Uh, you know, and uh, and because now this is culturally adopted and the people that went to those universities became very successful, they were able to continue like the cycle of more people would attend university. Yeah. It would be uh, societally, it would be like the norm now, right? Rather than say, we'll say mm-hmm. 60 years prior, the norm was to become a tradesman or a farmer or whatever. Now the norm would be, well, let's attend higher education. And I think we uncovered a lot of truths. I mean, there they might be objective truths, so I don't know if they're actually real, but it seems like we may have uncovered some things. Yeah, the there's podcast. a lot of a lot of interesting information here. Um and like how how it got transformed over the years. Almost like the the institution just got too big and so with with that growth came a lot of corruption. They they got too big artificially. Yeah, I think that's. I think the GI Bill was probably an artificial inflator. Yeah. Right for the post secondary, in, uh, institutions. Institution. Yeah, and then and as a result of them getting that big, they got a taste of what it's like to be booming, mm-hmm. and they did everything they could to keep it. Yeah, like once you taste that success, 
Mm-hmm. It's very hard to relinquish it. Yeah. And I think they've done everything in their power to maintain that artificial appearance. Yeah. And even with the dwind say they have dwindling attendance versus I don't know, whatever their you'd say their golden age was. But because they've raised the tuition fees. So the tuition fees do two things. They raise them to the zipper tits. <laughs> exactly. The tuition fees covers their administrative class, which has it's ballooned, half, half the ballooned out of control. Half the university. Yeah, it's ballooned completely out of control. However, it also covers, so say you get, you know, you're Princeton and you got 2,000 less enrollments this year. But if you up the tuition by a percentage that would cover that you're fine and the people going to those universities are willing to pay anything because the prestige is still there i think Mm -hmm. in a lot of people's minds even though it might not be there in actuality yeah in their minds it's there so they're willing to kind of back up back up the dump truck Mm -hmm. and and let it all make it happen yeah and so there's, yeah, that's uh, one of those things now where they are protecting their profit margins. Mm-hmm. And because of that, you're going to see tuitions go up. Mm-hmm. They can't afford to make less money. Mm-hmm. So here you are. And you can see this, too, with the COVID pandemic response, where tuition fees just stayed the same or went up even when people were learning from home. Yeah, there was uh, no cost for the upkeep of the buildings yeah. or anything like that. But, yeah. The fees remain the same. And in, I would say most cases, the quality of education d- dropped even further. Well, yeah, I mean, any a Zoom call education obviously doesn't hold a candle to actually being uh, in an auditorium or whatever, the classroom, it, being able to interact with the teacher live. There's also like there's communication uh, cues that you don't get virtually versus live. Maybe... You know, because nobody's there, they don't play off you the same. No vibing, nobody putting together good questions. Yep. So it's really, it's it's just uh, it's just a downgrade. I just hope that there was uh, no students who had Jeffrey Tubin as their professor during the COVID lockdowns. Do you have to pay extra for that? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think this is a good episode, though. We kind of hit a lot of points, and we still have a lot of. Uh, specific articles to go through we'll probably have to do an, another episode for that that'll be next episode but uh wrapping things up um i think we we've kind of lifted the veil on a lot of the deep dark dirty secrets of colleges and universities and where they've been and now the direction they're headed and the the, the lies deception deceit that they're promoting in order to garner an inflated profit for less return they've definitely morphed into their own sort of animal mm-hmm. their own ecosystem ecosystem's own, a good word right like they're their own thing now they've mm-hmm. gone beyond whatever they were just schools for higher learning and it, it's like a there's a political class there there's an administrative class there's a ruling class it's almost like tiny little kingdoms, you know? Yeah, yeah. That's the vibe I'm getting, too. Exactly. Right. It's right. kind of interesting. It, it's its own uh, ecosystem, like you said. They're operating based on their own inclinations, devoid of any state or federal legislation. Or truth. Devoid of truth is ultimately the real issue. They do what they want to do in a manner that they want to do it. They're going to teach what they want to teach in the manner they want to teach it. Regardless of the facts. In fact, they'll even defend their positions 
against facts, which is crazy. Well, they're they're doing that. Uh, they're doing that, I guess, as a way of self-preservation, right? Yeah, I guess the question too comes now because if 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 they were to, they they can't really change anything at this point. They're kind of stuck in this cycle of nonsense, and they're going to probably die on that cross. Is this the first time that we've been here? In human history? Yeah. I mean, it's hard to say. I mean, there's it been great empires before they have fallen, and I would say that probably the the elite institutions, were universities, well. for example, yeah. got yeah. corrupted and they lost their prestige. Yeah, the Roman Empire probably was similar. It's just one of those things where it's hard to know because, like, you know, we always talk about this. Uh, we are at a position now in history where the, a normal person can scrutinize literally everything because of our access to technology that's something we never had previously. Mm -hmm. So it's hard to know whether this is a pattern or if this is like we're breaking new ground. Now, I mean, it, it's rhyming. Probably. Yeah, it's rhyming. Yeah. I mean, you don't really break new ground on corruption. It, corruption has been there throughout all of history. I think it's hyperinflated, though, just because of the riches that uh, capitalism has brought. So there's more ability to um to attack Exploit. yeah attack yeah. the 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 financial gains that you can get from capitalism yeah th it does seem like a lot of everything that's ever been wrong previously that is currently wrong now is magnified yes to the maximum B the, just the, for the, whatever reason like a petri dish of bullshit and corruption <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah exactly <laughs> and nobody's tried to get it under control i think it's a good place to leave it off um, you can find us on Linktree. Uh, you can find us on OnlyFans. Two right? right? No, no is that not, not, not right? yet. Not yet. Oh shit! That's okay. your personal okay. account. Okay. Oh shit! Sorry, sorry. Uh, you're all invited to my uh, gay birthday orgy. I'm not going. I thought you're hosting. Um, no, no, I'm. Uh, uh, if I go, I'll have to wear a scuba outfit. <laughs> I might not make it. Monkeypox for everyone. Schlong COVID. <laughs> But yeah, that does it for us in this episode. We're going to follow it up with a uh, more in-depth dive on uh, different articles that pertain to the points that we talked about and give you some concrete examples of this bullshit that's going on in our post-secondary institutions. Um, but for now... Our post-academic academia. Yeah. Oh, that's good. You get me a little sexy, <laughs> sexy George Washington. Uh. So you you can see that on his OnlyFans. <laughs> <laughs> but for now, you can just see our two pretty faces, in so in, in hats. Thumbs up, subscribe, comment, whatever, uh, and uh, tune into the next episode. Maybe uh, we should start a TikTok. We do some TikToks, Shane. Maybe to the people through TikToks. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Aren't they supposed to be short videos? I guess we could do TikTok. Yeah, we can just do zipper tits and it's a TikTok. Ugh, I don't like that. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Till next time. <laughs> I ran out of breath. I don't know why. Breathe. You got to remember to breathe. I don't know why I have a problem with breathing. Maybe you need a mask. You want you want to put a COVID or mask on? Or oxygen mask before <laughs> I do it.